I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, you are about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Discovery. Time flies when you're learning super cool stuff. I'm Nate. And I'm Callie. If you're dropping in for the first time, welcome to Curiosity, where we aim to blow your mind by helping you to grow your mind. If you're a loyal listener, welcome back. Today, you'll learn about new genetic clues to male hair loss, some hopeful news about the future of renewable energy, and some sweet and juicy new research on the origins of citrus. Without further ado, let's satisfy some curiosity. Geneticists from the University Hospital of Bonn in Germany have been pulling their hair out trying to figure out what causes male pattern baldness. I'll save them the trouble. Everyone knows that male pattern baldness is caused by hats. Hmm. Well, I'm glad to hear from you, Dr. (laughs) Callie. While some think environmental factors can play a role in hair loss, most experts agree that the main driver of hair loss is genetics. Okay, for real now. I I guess my question is, if genetics played the biggest role, then what's left to study? Like, we know hair falls out because of genes already, right? Yes, but which genes? Okay, so that is a real head-scratcher. Sorry. Yeah, and the thing is, by some estimates— Nearly two-thirds of males experience some level of hair loss or thinning by the time they reach 35. I didn't realize it was so widespread, honestly. Yeah, well, by the time we hit 50, anywhere between 30 and 50% of us will experience androgenic alopecia, the fancy phrase for male pattern hair loss. And yes, researchers have known for ages that the culprit here seems to be genetic. Just like your mom could pass down her eye color, your parents and grandparents bequeath you the gift of a receding hairline. Thanks a lot, Dad. Right? Okay, so here's where the new research is adding a twist. Previous studies mostly examined common genetic variants and found around 350 locations on our genes associated with hair loss. They assumed that these common genetic variants were the culprit for hair loss. Okay, so let's let's back up a bit. What do you mean by common genetic variants? I'm, I'm just trying to get my head around this. Think of our genetic code like a big blueprint or an instruction manual that tells our bodies how to function. Common genetic variants are those sets of instructions that tons of people share. So you'd expect every guy who's bald or balding to have the same set of instructions when it comes to those 350 different genetic locations, right? Okay, got it. They are common. That makes sense. Well, there are also sets of instructions that aren't so common. And these are called rare genetic variants? That is exactly what they're called. Scientists (laughs) didn't think rare genetic variants had much to do with hair loss. And the thing is, they're also pretty hard to study. Because they're rare, right? Right. So to study rare genetic variants, you need a huge sample. And that's what these geneticists got. They analyzed the genetic sequences of 72,469 male participants from the UK Biobank Project. Wow. Was that a big enough sample? They think it was. They basically found a needle in a haystack. Well, actually, five needles. They found five pretty rare genes that were significantly associated with baldness. These are genes that exist in less than 1% of the population. 
Wow. Okay, so figuring out the association between these rare genes and male pattern hair loss kind of throws the whole field into chaos, right? Because you've said as many as 50% of men have hair loss, but less than 1% of them have the genes. So what's going on here? A very astute observation. Maybe the biggest takeaway from this study is that researchers now have a better idea of how much they actually don't know about the genetic causes of hair loss. But with new data like this, they are getting closer. I mean, I guess sometimes you don't know what you don't know. Right. But if you work hard, one day you do know what you don't know. (laughs) At least in the case of male pattern hair loss, that could mean better ways to spot the risks for baldness and new genetic treatments. Okay. Well, all that scientific genetic talk got pretty hairy there for a second. (sighs) Wow. I'm sorry for that one. Global climate change is increasing at an unprecedented rate since the last climate assessment a couple years ago. Greenhouse gas emissions hit a record high. Thermometers all over the planet have skyrocketed this year to levels no one has ever seen before. The 1.5 degrees Celsius temperature increase target is pretty quickly becoming out of reach. No offense, but you're kind of being a downer. Yeah, I know. But all of that was just a setup for some actual good news. Like, like really good news. Okay, we could all use it right now, that's for sure. (laughs) Okay, so a new study by the Mercator Research Institute on Global Commons and Climate Change has found that electricity from solar has seen an 87% reduction in cost in the last decade. Battery storage costs have decreased by 85%, and wind power, heat pumps, and other fossil-free tech are also dropping in price. 87% price drop in solar. That sounds massive. And as far as I understand it, cost has been one of the big limiting factors in adopting solar right? Oh, totally. The world's need for energy is enormous, so markets and consumers will just naturally opt for the cheapest energy source when they have a choice. And the thing is, these price drops were unexpected. Almost no one predicted that the price of solar and other renewables would drop so quickly. That means that the transition from fossil fuels to renewables could happen a lot faster than we thought. Like how much faster? Well, uh, consider this. One way to offset coal is to not only add solar panels to your house, but to pair those solar panels with a massive battery. Mm, Right. The sun tends to go down at night. It tends to do that, yeah. So you need to save up the power you collect during the day so you can use it when the sun don't shine. (laughs) Well said. So by 2030, the price for battery storage paired with solar is expected to drop around 70%. And by 2050, due in no small part to the dropping cost of solar, there could be more than double the amount of solar energy gathered than coal produces today. Holy smokes. So we'll have twice as much power available as coal offers. It'll be cheap. And we'll be able to store it for not a ton of money. I I always thought the future was going to have to be full of giant solar factories sucking carbon out of the air and stashing it under the ocean or something. (laughs) Most people assumed carbon capture was a big part of the plan for keeping us from climate catastrophe. And while the research team is quick to point out that their projects are really optimistic, the numbers so far don't lie. Plus, modular technologies are making it easier to install so much of this new green power gear. What do you mean by modular technologies? Um, so imagine a huge coal power plant. It's not super easy to build, right? It's massive with a ton of moving parts. It's expensive and it takes forever to construct. Now, think about a wind turbine. You manufacture the parts as modules, deliver each to the site, stack them up like building blocks. It's quick, it's easy, it's cheap. So to make the next logical step, if the energy they produce is cheap and people start wanting it, and if the tech is cheap and easy to construct... There's no stopping the market from building this stuff, right? Well, that's the idea. In fact, even as we speak, 80% of new energy capacity investments are now fossil-free sources. So that's already happening. Of course, there there are challenges. (laughs) 
Great downer, Kelly. Making a comeback right <laughs> when we're talking about the good stuff. It's not so bad. But when an industry changes this quickly, there are economic and political things to think about. Lots of people still work in the business of coal, right? But look, these problems are solvable, especially since this new study shows that our climate transition could be a lot cheaper and easier than anyone anticipated. It sounds really optimistic, and I think that's the kind of hope we can all use right about now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever wondered where oranges come from? Uh, everyone knows they come from the store. Duh. Good story, everyone. <laughs> I hope you've learned something today. All right. Very funny with your store joke. All right, let me just ask a question a different way. (laughs) Where did the very first citrus plant on Earth grow? Okay, Um, I can honestly say I've never actually thought about it, but I bet there are some curious researchers out there who have. Leave it to researchers to seek out the source of those juicy fruits, right? So these particular researchers are from the Huanzhong Agricultural University in Wuhan, China, and they went to some pretty great lengths to solve this puzzle. How and where did a plant species evolve to develop citrus fruit? And then how did it spread across the globe and end up in huge, colorful, aromatic piles in our grocery stores? And when we talk about the origin of species, we usually talk about animals, right? So it's interesting to remember that plant species also have origins. Sure. And since animals eat plants, in fact, all life is connected in an intricate web, understanding where some flora began can help us understand the fauna that spread around it. Other research has speculated that the source of citrus could have been in northeastern Australia, southern China, or even in the southeastern Himalayan foothills. So this research team wanted to dig deep. They built a huge citrus family tree using genetic data from over 300 citrus and citrus-related plants. They ended up looking at around 15 citrus species, and then they dipped out into the field to explore conditions and wild citrus varieties. This is some Indiana Jones stuff, except for fruit. (laughs) Well, all of their tangy adventuring and research paid off. They found that the oldest citrus fruits, like the uh, trifoliate orange, are native to, drumroll, Callie, if you could provide a drumroll. There it is. (laughs) South Central China. (laughs) Uh, The birthplace of citrus. That's appealing. Well, some citrus species, like pomelos and citrons, came later and originated in the Himalayan foothills, while some wild limes have Australian roots. All right, so why is this research important? I mean, don't get me wrong, I love curiosity and deep diving into research about as much as I love biting into a great piece of fruit. But what is the bigger picture here? Good question. So like all research, this has some implications beyond these specific findings. First, like we talked about earlier, tracking the evolutionary beginnings of certain species can paint a more accurate picture of the world of the past. But going a little deeper, getting to the bottom of the genetic history of citrus can help scientists develop new varieties that are more drought and disease resistant. Okay, that makes a ton of sense. If you know where something came from and the conditions that allowed it to thrive, you have a better sense of how to help them thrive in a changing world. Yep, and all it took was a special zest for knowledge. Of course. 
Let's recap what we learned today to wrap up. Researchers from the University of Bonn have delved into the genetic sequences of over 72,000 men, uncovering rare genetic variants that may play a significant role in male pattern hair loss. Their findings, published in Nature Communications, not only validate previously suspected genes, but also introduce new candidate genes, promising a deeper understanding of hair loss causes and potential treatment advancements. Over the past decade, solar electricity costs plummeted by 87%, with battery storage falling closely at an 85% decrease, revealing a brighter, more affordable future for renewable energy. A study from Berlin's MCC Institute suggests that by 2050, the world's entire energy consumption could be feasibly powered by renewables, emphasizing the transformative potential of current technological progress. Unpeeling the mysteries of citrus evolution, new research has discovered that the origin of citrus lies in south-central China, dating back 8 million years. This juicy revelation offers a fresh perspective on where our favorite tangy fruits come from and can help researchers develop drought and disease-resistant fruits for a changing world. Curiosity Daily is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for Discovery. You can follow our show wherever you get your podcasts, and we would love it if you could take a second to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. 